we invite you to attend the January 2023 Nomad Offshore Summit here in Lisbon, Portugal. This podcast channel is about you, successful international entrepreneurs, successful expats, successful investors, sponsored by ECJ Contacts. Right, fantastic. So, Tom, great to see you again. Welcome. Uh, so this, so we're going to record this and we're going to, you know, put it on a lot of platforms, but right now it's being live streamed on LinkedIn, on, on YouTube and on Twitter. Well, <laughs> I don't know if it's still on Twitter, but it's supposed <laughs> to be live streamed on <laughs> Twitter and on Facebook. So, so, so yeah. So for those who may be joining us on those platforms, HGJ.tax, we do those live streams every week where we talk all things tax. If you, you're seeing us for the first time, have a look at hg.tax forward slash events to see what's coming up next. And every day we release what we hope to be helpful video content. So you can join us on your favorite platform there. So this, we, we actually publish on about 23, 24 platforms every day. You know, uh, SoundCloud, SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play, Amazon, wherever it is you get your favorite podcast, chances are we're there as well. So... Without further ado, I introduce you to Tom. Tom, can you please introduce yourself? Sure. Thanks, Aaron. Thanks for having me. Pleasure to be here. And um, hello to everyone that may be tuning in today. Um, my name is Tom Putris. I work for Skyvan Wealth Management. Uh, we, well, we primarily focus on working with individuals who have moved abroad when it comes to financial planning. Um, and we've got many offices around the world for intensive purposes, the offices from the US all through the UK, Europe, um, right over to here. I'm in Dubai. Um, I've been out in Dubai for seven years now, I think. Yeah, just over seven years, something like that. So um, enjoying my time here in the Middle East. Um, and we're licensed all the way down to, to Australia as a firm. So yeah, that, that's uh, that's me and who I work for. I guess from my point of view, I specialize in, in working with US Connected expats um like i said based out of here in dubai but i'm able to cover europe from here africa from here the middle east and, and asia from here so far enough away from the us but still still well placed from a, a geographical point of view um and you know we've got a good regulatory footprint across all those regions to make sure that we're best placed to, to help people when it comes to cross-border financial planning Mm, thank you for that. And, and as you mentioned, regulatory. So my understanding is that you guys are SEC licensed. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. We are SEC licensed in the US. Mm -hmm. Right, which, which is, of course, super important because, unfortunately, there may be other players in this space who aren't properly licensed. So I think that's, that's an important thing to put out there, that you guys are licensed and credentialed to do what you do, you know. It's, it's important right now, given other things happening in other spaces with other companies that may or may not have been licensed and registered. So, so, so that's super. That's great. So the second thing, uh, well, you, you mentioned U.S. exposed persons. So I, I just wanted to kind of chip in and, and kind of define and refine what that means. So these are people that are U.S. exposed for tax purposes. So they would be U.S. citizens regardless of where they may reside, 
uh, U.S. green card holders or lawful permanent residents, again, regardless of where they may actually reside, and those who may be U.S. tax resident by virtue of substantial presence. So maybe they're on an H-1B-1, or they're on an L-1 or whatever, and they're spending sufficient time so that they're trapped in the U.S. tax net. And you offer products and services and, and helpful advice for those types of, of, of people, correct? Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, we kind of have two sides to our business. We have we have a number of offices over in the US itself. So we have an office on the East Coast, an office on the West Coast, again, mm -hmm. a large country trying to get across those time zones and the amount of people that are over there. And, and primitively, we're helping expats in the US as, as, our, as our main concept of business. We've always kind of been a cross-border financial planning firm, helping expats where they may be. Um, and that's kind of where our business really started and we went into a number of regions as a result of that. Um, and again, you know, going back to your substantial presence test or those that are on a H1 visa and, and that kind of stuff working over the US, that might be Europeans, Brits, South Africans, Australians over in, in the US. So we help those guys there and, and my team on that side of the world are helping um, connect to people in the US. Um, my, 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 me being here in Dubai is, is really helping those expats, those US expats that um, have some sort of tie, whether it be through passport, um, green cards. You know, we meet a lot of people who have been to the US in the past and, and have picked up a green card for being there for a certain period of time. And you know, they may be European passport holders, British passport holders, you know, GCC passport holders, but have connected and picked up that tie. And that's that that's where we work with you don't and, and other kind of third parties to really hone in on what it means to have that green card because I think a lot of people come away from the US not with a clue um sadly yeah. and, and, and don't really understand that bit of it so we just try and you know work with people based on those those ties and, and get them to to understand what those not necessarily their liabilities you know that's not for us as financial planners but to bring it to their attention that it is an area that needs to be addressed and if it is something that they want to continue to to hold in terms of having that tie, whether that be a passport, you know, um, a green card, or even those that are married to, to US connected people, again, they can they can kind of fall under that net of US connected to some degree. Um, so we just then start to look at what their options are uh, when it comes to financial planning and how and why it's important to take note of that um, connection because there is ultimately a tax obligation that comes from it. Mm, absolutely. And, and that's an important point you raise. And thanks for that, that people get U.S. connected and they don't even realize it. So last Friday night, uh, I attended a, a gala hosted by the American Chamber in Dubai, as well as the U.S. Embassy, Abu Dhabi. So, so you know, all these people, they were celebrating the anniversary of the historical relationship between the United States and the United Arab Emirates. And, you know, yeah, so many people who may be Emirati, they go to university. It is, of course, a popular destination in oh. terms of education, or they may work with a multinational and they spend considerable time in the U.S. And whenever they return to the Emirates, they come back with passports, green cards, spouses, kids, whatever the case may be. That means mm -hmm. suddenly somehow their family is U.S. connected. So, so you're right. It is more common than people realize. I think it's a big one as well for those that you know go over to the, the states and get educated there and then they stay on for maybe a couple of years to, to, to enroll in work etc you know it speaks to a lot of people from the far east and, and across the GCC that 
picked up that green card and and didn't know what the implication of it was and you know yeah. came back at home and stuffed it in a drawer and it's like you know <laughs> those conversations on why I'm playing and, and one of the conversations that virtually any bank will have with you today if you're trying to open up a bank account right is are you US connected a US passport holder green card holder they tick yes and then all this other paperwork comes out and it's yeah. okay that's your FATCA declaration and uh, but no one understands what that is and what what, what it's there for <laughs> right um so yeah it's, it's kind of our job to just highlight that to people and the importance of it and and hopefully mm -hmm. that, and encourage them to engage with again the right third parties to to go through that that planning process okay great so can you tell me so like if if someone is u.s exposed through family members or themselves personally or whatever what are the what would you say are the top three things they need to look for in considering who's the right financial advisor for them yeah good good question um I, don't, I think I think this could be a lot more than three, you know. Um, but um, I think one thing that we touched on earlier, and, and you kind of highlighted as I, as I introduced myself there, is is just making sure that your advisor is regulated. Um, I can't stress the importance of that. You know, I look around the world, and there's varying degrees of regulation. And in the US, we have the SEC, which overlooks the you know the majority of financial services and um, I think if anyone's watched a film, you know, the SEC are the big bad wolf kind of scenario, but, you know, they're, they're a regulator there to, to protect a consumer and that's important. And I think when you are looking for advice, you have to make sure that the person you're engaging with has, has that level of protection for the consumer. I think specifically for US connected people, kind of the second point is then does that advisor in whatever capacity he is regulated, does he have a US specific proposition? So, you know, your, your advisor may be regulated, for example, here in the UAE by, you know, the DIFC or um, the Securities and Commodities Authority. Um, but does that regulated advisor have a, a proposition that is tailored towards somebody who is of, of US connection? And, and, and that's important. And I'll come on to that probably later, um, because there is things that, again, because of your US connection, because of that tax uh, reporting requirement and that liability in the future you, you need to make sure that the solutions that you're taking on board are specific to you um, and I think the third thing as well and this is probably one that goes missed quite a lot but is, is important to me is what capacity is that person providing advice to you in so I meet a lot of people where um, they've engaged with the financial advisor and all they've done is given their money to uh, an investment bank who have just risk profiled somebody, for example, and sold them a load of financial instruments. And whilst that's great because your money potentially working for you, is has it been done in the right way, or are you just, you know, are you just investing at that point? Um, and I think there's varying degrees of how how somebody can sit in your life from a financial point of view. Um, and it's just understanding what that role is because I think there's so many roles out there. Um, to engage in advice on you know there's there's robo for example you know robo advisory that's just very simple it's you know plug and play mm -hmm. it's having someone like me who you know we would class ourselves as financial planners um and we're here to kind of map the journey you know investment management is something that we do but it is it's almost a secondary item on the list so we engage with people about okay where are you today what do you want to achieve in the future you know we do a lot of goal-based um planning and that's kind of the big part of our proposition and making sure that we're along the journey with you. Um, we're not here just to make a transactional sale and, and, and some people want that, some people need that, but it's just understanding what, what capacity you're employing that person 
um, when it comes to looking for financial advice. Hmm. Okay, that's great. And and to pick up on the second point that you raised, there's a lot of investment products or financial instruments available. I mean, the the list is probably endless. Yeah. How does someone decide what's the best fit for them? What's that process look like? Yeah. Um, again, it, go, it goes back to making sure that it is that US specific proposition for me, because um, sadly where where people or US people have engaged and, and tried to get advice internationally, you know, if we look back over the last uh, 12 years now, since kind of that implementation of FATCA in 2010 and, and, and people starting to take notice of it up until kind of 2012, where foreign, foreign institutions really caught on to what was going on. But, you know, you had before 2010, you had the entire world to talk to as a US person. You know, you had all the financial institutions globally. If you're an expat working in the Middle East, you know, anybody would talk to, anybody would provide you advice and anybody would take you on as a client. Post that 2010 um, FATCA initiative, then then that world shrank because those those offshore institutions didn't necessarily want to deal with you as a, as a person because you had that US connection. Mm -hmm. And much of that planning then went back to the US. But then since 2015, I'd say probably HSBC be one of the first, kind of then the pressure from the SEC and the increased KYC and AML requirements for, for banking in, and, and investment advice in the US, that started to get harder. So the, the world has started to shrink. So whilst the universe is huge, it's become quite constricted. And I think it's probably one of the biggest reasons why, certainly from our point of view, the US expat market is, is, is vastly underserved today. Mm -hmm. um, but those that have had financial advice or those that are seeking financial advice, one of the one things to be aware of is that it has to be that US specific proposition because taking advice from um, an individual who doesn't or a firm that doesn't and doesn't have access to the right solutions. You know, if you end up with a, a non-domiciled US solution, so you know, let's take mutual funds for a second. If, if you're not familiar with what a mutual fund is, it's a, a collective investment vehicle based on maybe an indice or a sector or a geography. Let's take North America, for example, you could have money invested in a North American mutual fund and it would be virtually invested in kind of the S&P and the wider market. Mm -hmm. um, but if that wasn't, if that fund house hadn't based its fund out of America and it had based itself out of, let's say, um, Luxembourg or Ireland, for example, two very popular jurisdictions for, for non-US mutual funds, those, those are what we would call um, passive foreign investment companies or PFIX, right? And um, as an American, you don't want to end up with one of those. Uh, Darren, you, you'll be probably able to tell people more why you don't want to end up with one of those, but ultimately they're just taxed punitively. Um, so really it's the number one thing from my point of view as an expat, it's the easiest, it's probably the easiest thing to end up with, um, but the worst thing as a result, because you know, it's just, it's just not good from a tax planning point of view and a, and a, and a and a financial planning point of view. So that's really something to stay away from. I think when trying to understand what you need to have in, in your life, it's, it's again, sitting down and, and understanding um, what, what part to play that investment vehicle has. So again, I've seen, sadly I've seen, you know, people try and seek advice, um, a financial planner or a financial advisor or an investment banking, private bank, whatever it may be, whatever, Kind of scope we're engaging that person on try and do the right thing so you know maybe invest money through um 
US uh, rappers, for example, pension rappers, for example, that have been quite popular over the last decade or so. Um, and that allows an, a US person not necessarily to end up with US domiciled assets, but they can end up with foreign or PFIX, but in a rap scenario, um, which doesn't cause that tax problem. But what it does is it puts that money in an environment that potentially there's limitations on access and consequences on drawdown. So again, just to kind of simplify that, it's, you know, if you've met somebody or you're talking to somebody who's encouraging you to invest in a in a wrapper or a structure that, that allows you to invest in this big, huge universe of, of investments that, that are available to so many, just understand what that wrapper is and what the consequences are of doing it. You know, so kind of the second point, well, the first point is, you know, make sure it's US domicile, that, that's the first point. We need to make sure that we've got the right thing in place. Make sure that the structure of what you're investing in is suitable for you. So if it is an offshore wrapper, for example, does it meet your criteria for the future? It might be a US domicile structure. So, you know, for example, we have various different types of accounts in the US. We have um, just a general investment account or a brokerage account, right? That's just, you have the ability to put money in and take money out as and when you need to. Um, but then you have Roth IRAs, traditional IRAs, 401ks, 529s, all, all these other structures. Um, I think it's important just to understand the structure that you're investing through and, and make sure that you know the limitations of that and, and what it can and can't do for you. And then kind of thirdly, the last one is, and this applies to all those structures across the board is, um, and this is probably the most important one for me is, just understand the investment strategy. So if you have got the right advice and it is, it is US domiciled, so you're investing in US investments, whether it be ETFs or mutual funds or direct stocks, et cetera, um, and it's in a vehicle that you want it to be in, so just a brokerage account, understand then how that money is being invested and the journey that that money is going on. So make sure your risk profiling around that money is the right one for you. Again, I see so many people who, as a knee-jerk reaction would be quite a cautious investor because it may be their first time investing, for example, but they're investing their, that money, that specific money that they're taking advice on for their retirement or for a, a future date, which is you know well in excess of 10, 15 years. But taking a cautious approach to that money may not always be the right thing to do. Um, and similarly, you know, people who are very keen on investments, low investing, may take kind of a very high risk attitude to a very short duration. And especially in markets, like this year is, is not an anomaly. If people are looking at the markets and worrying, um, guys, be aware, it's not an anomaly. It might be an anomaly in your investing lifetime, but trust me, this has happened you know, 14 times since the 70s, you know, 20 times plus since the, the last World War we had. We see huge market sell-offs. We know that these things do happen. But just understand how your money is invested, the type of risk associated with the portfolio that you've, you've chosen, and then what you can expect through that journey. And then the most important thing is coming towards that liquidation event and having that, again, that same right uh, attitude of risk associated with the portfolio. So they're kind of the three things. They're not, you know, I can't ever say, you know, you should be solely invested in this or solely invested in that. You know, that, that that's not what we do. We kind of just try and put that plan around, um, that investment. And that's why I said that for us, the planning part is the most important part. Investment management comes second, because if you can answer these questions as that client goes through the journey, you end up kind of a tailor makes itself by the time you, you, you answer all the questions. Um, but they're really the three things for me, you know, make sure it's US specific, make sure you know the wrapper or the structure that you're investing through, 
and then just be aware of the risk profile that you're that you're allocating to that portfolio. Thank you for that. Again, very comprehensive. I just wanted to, to talk a bit on the second point you raised about being cautious with products and platforms that yeah. may not be U.S. domiciled. And as you mentioned, uh, PFIX, right, the passive foreign investment uh, companies, they are a very specific and credible risk. I mean, just this morning, uh, you know, uh, speaking to a client in Singapore, who is about to make an important decision. He's getting married and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So he's just going through his affairs and he realizes that he has PFIX because he invested yeah. in products that were, were pitched at him. And, and for those who are not aware, I, I just want to kind of speak to what these acronyms mean. So KYC, those are, you know, your customer stuff that the banks take you through. That's why it takes such a long time. AML, anti-money laundering and PFIX, as we said, passive foreign investment companies. As to the origin of PFIX, they date back to the 1980s of the President Reagan. So uh, during that term, we saw the creation of, well, Section 1297, which speaks to, as Tom said, those collective investment vehicles, where at least 75% of that structure's gross income is passive or 50% of the assets are investment held to create passive income. So basically, a non, you're thinking in terms of a non-US mutual fund. So sometimes they're called unit trust. And then, you know, as you mentioned, Tom, Tom mentioned rappers. So sometimes something may appear to be a pension, a non-US pension or some non-US retirement product or some non-US insurance product. And when, as U.S. tax professionals, we take a look inside, like we did with our client this morning, and then, oops, you have a, you have a PFIC. So, again, it's really good. I mean, just a on the side of caution and just stick to as much as possible if you just want to be super conservative with U.S. domicile products. But if not, if you if you want to look outside, then just definitely get advice before you jump in because the the reason why PFIX were created was because the U.S. domestic financial institutions began complaining to Congress that hey, Americans were getting an advantage by investing outside of the U.S. They're getting a tax advantage. Basically, they don't pay tax until there's a distribution way at the end, and that put them these they put these foreign products at an advantage compared to US domestic products, which is unfair. So the IRS, so when you when we talk about PFIX, PFIX are, you know, a bit aggressive and they are aggressive by design. So the, it's a section of the tax code that penalizes you as a US exposed person in investing in that foreign uh, collective investment vehicle if, if it does trigger PFIX status. So yeah, you know, to your point, Definitely keep an eye on them, get advice, and you know maybe it's best to stay away depending on your situation. Now, you, you mentioned some of the various products and, and stuff like that. I have to ask, I know it's a bit of a controversial thing right now, but crypto. Where do you see <laughs> crypto? Is, is, it, is it over? Is it like, forget it, run for the hills, avoid it? Or yeah. are you saying, well, in part of a well-diversified portfolio, maybe it has a place? What, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, I'll be honest, Darren, you know, we um, I get asked about crypto all the time, right? Um, it's a hot topic. You know, it's only last week FTX has blown up and owes, you know, more yeah. than $3 billion to people. It's, it can be a sad story. And I think a lot of retail investors have had their fingers burned over the last decade since crypto has been around. And don't get me wrong, there's some people who've made a lot, a lot of money from it. Yeah. Um, 
are again let me be very very clear and very honest from our point of view and from my point of view it's just not something we advise on at the moment um and it doesn't appear in our portfolios and, and the way that we manage money clients um you know to give an example of how somebody may gain exposure to uh crypto through our way of investing um we obviously you know we build very broad-based investments we manage you know stock portfolios um uh, etf portfolios mutual fund portfolios whatever it may be but don't forget you know crypto is starting to come mainstream to a degree now and there are companies that are listed on stock exchanges you know like coinbase for example right it appears on a stock exchange so if you're investing in the s p 500 or nasdaq or you know whatever industry it may be around the world you may be starting to pick up exposure to crypto companies, not tokens or coins per se, but crypto companies now just through the traditional way of investing, right? Um, which is something that we can see in our portfolios, but we're not advising and, and you know, we don't think it's a market yet that is mature enough or regulated enough to advise clients to buy Bitcoin, to buy Ether, to buy any of these other other things that are on the market is just not something that we're at with. Um, and I think it's probably going to be some time since we are. Okay, completely understood. For those who just joined us, we did receive some of your questions in advance and thanks for that. If you have questions, please just type them in the box below if you're in Zoom or in the chat box below on any of the other platforms and we get to them in the order in which they receive. So it's not too late. You can ask questions below. So we, we've already discussed crypto. What about precious metals? I have some clients that are really, really uh, bullish when it comes to the precious metals. What are your thoughts? Potentially, rightfully so as well. You know, I think from our point of view, <clears throat> precious metals is something that we do see um, as a good store of wealth at times. Um, and it can and will feature in some of our portfolios at times. You know, we have got exposure to something like gold, for example, right? Um, or even the broader base of, of precious metals, including silver and whatever else may go through. Um, I think it's been an interesting year for precious metals, um, especially gold. Um, gold is always one of those things that many people would hoard or buy for, for fighting off inflation and, and, and keeping inflation at arm's length and allowing you know, it to, to increase in value over the years. Um, but like everything, I think you know, everything has a time and a place um, and it comes down to what the client is trying to, trying to achieve over the time horizon for that goal. Okay, gotcha. Absolutely. So the next question, you're in the United Arab Emirates, you're in Dubai. Dubai kind of came into its own. I, I tell people like during uh, the recent pandemic, yeah. at one point in time, it was like the only international city that was open. Everyone else, airports were closed more or less aside from Dubai. And, you know, and of course, with the recent unfortunate uh, conflict in Northern Europe, it has become even more of a haven for, you know, for entrepreneurs, for investors. Would you, what brought you to, to make that decision to relocate to Dubai? And would you recommend it to others? And if so, what type of person you think would benefit from moving to Dubai? Just curious. I like that. Yeah. I like that. Um, 
I, I was always fascinated. I, so I come, I'm, I'm British, obviously, and, and to kind of just go back on a little bit about who and why I am, you know, I, I'm British, I have no US connection, um, but I have been working with the US expat market now for the kind of last five out of the seven years that I've been here. Um, I came here, um, I, I'm originally from the country for, for all intents and purposes in the UK. I come from the very green hills of, of the Midlands in, in the UK. Um, and I was kind of attracted to the, the UAE came in 2015 and it was, um, you know, the glitz and the glamour, if you like, in terms of we kind of had a seven star Burj Al Arab Hotel, uh, the Burj Khalifa. It was somewhere that was probably very, very different to where I was from originally as an extreme version of going somewhere. I've always been somebody that has traveled a lot and I believe that you can learn a lot from um a lot from traveling and a lot of my education has been done from traveling it was somewhere that was just completely different from a point of view of you know looking at the bio the last seven years it, it has just come into its own you know through technology and through convenience to like things like Deliveroo and just you know things just silly things like that it, 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 it's a very convenient place to be the UAE and it's built itself on lending an arm to convenience and attracting people on convenience it's changed drastically and, and and it does want people to be here it's always it's always tried to bring people here but i think one of the things that i first noticed when i came here was how transient it was and how mm. you know the duration of time people were here was was actually quite limited you know a couple of years two to three years everyone came out with that mentality i'll i'll come for two to three years contracts were being issued for two to three years i'll go make some money and then i'll go back home um i think it's probably one of the reasons why many many governments you know made made sure they had a good way of um enforcing substantial presence tests and, and that kind of stuff you know coming here making good money for six months in the oil rigs and, and going home but i think you know over the last seven years it's changed dramatically and i think that that can really be seen through some of the initiatives that they've now launched around visas you know mm -hmm. golf visas for example being able to stay here for 10 years not necessarily needing a job um mm -hmm. investors visas um, buying property here, um, again, just allowing you to extend that period and actually start to settle in. And I think really the most recent thing, you know, that kind of stuff came to fruition through COVID um, and that lockdown period and, people, you know, them wanting to attract them. They did lose people through COVID, you know, no two ways about it. We lost a good proportion of the expat population here, but they launched those initiatives to try and drive people back here as quick as possible. And I have to say, through that pandemic, they they managed it very well. We're quite fortunate here where, you know, someone's if, if, if the government says something, people do it and people adhere to it. And it's just it's been a very pleasant place to be over the last couple of years. And people have been able to get on as a result of it, you know, actually go to work, actually get back to some sort of normal living. Um, I think the UAE moving forward is just a huge opportunity. You know, we obviously have our neighbours over in, in Saudi Arabia who are building things like a neon project and trying to continue to think they're probably where the UAE was, you know, 10, 15 years ago in terms of that initial attraction. But I think just from a big opportunity place now is, um, you know, you've got major corporations moving here. You've got a fantastic work-life balance. You know, we have Sun 365 with a couple of rainy days to, to break it up. You know, we've got the beach, we've got the mountains, we've got um, all sorts of stuff going on. Um, and an economy that is growing and one of very few this year that, that, that is growing and next year that's that's predicted to grow. Um, so just fantastic job prospects. I think if you are looking to make a move, put the UAE on the list and come check it out, say hello. And if you need me to show you around, let me know and I'm happy to be a tour guide today.
<laughs> Fantastic. Yeah, I 100% agree with you because, you know, having gone through it ourselves, you know, uh, setting up a free zone company, finding office space, uh, getting the Emirates IDs, the yeah. process has been so streamlined and made so easy. And especially it, it, it stands in mock contrast to other financial centers like Singapore, Hong Kong, New York, London, Switzerland, Zurich, you know, it's those, I mean, they're attractive jurisdictions, but they just make it really hard to, to get in and to set stuff up. Whereas, you know, the UAE is complete, complete, complete opposite. So 100% agree with you. Now, yeah, I think we've answered, wait, hold on. Someone just, okay, uh, we have a question here. What type of ILUL index linked universal life of the best suited for US expat living in the UAE who intends to go back to the US after 10 to 15 years? Is there a restriction or disadvantage on offshore regular savings plans? Tom? Okay. Um, yeah, big, big one. Um, so index linked universal life plans, uh, these are insurance based products. Um, very, very common in the US as part of potentially financial planning and how you use them. Um, what I would say is one thing, it's very, it's actually quite difficult to purchase an onshore, uh, well, I say onshore US domiciled, um, insurance product a lot of the time the insurance company will require you to be in the us at the time of signing that documentation um and even doing it by docusign these days they'll track the ip and all this stuff so um there is a big part of the t's and c's that requires you to be in the us to sign that documentation so it's potentially not always easy for a us expat to buy those types of products you know those typical index linked universal life products or uh you know they typically they have a cash value to them. They help you grow your money. They offer protection from the downside. They can sometimes be a little bit missold um, and represented as uh, investments rather than protection. Um, so you just have to make sure that you're understanding what you again what you're trying to achieve through that structure, um, because it obviously you know with every positive there's always potentially a negative with it. So you just need to understand what that is. Um, and again, trying to assess what the right one is for you is going through that financial planning process and understanding you know, what is it that you're trying to do with this money, right? Um, if you're intending to go back to the US after 10 to 15 years, okay, great. That's that's a life event, but is that a liquidation event? Just because you're going back in 10 to 15 years, do you need all that money at that point in time? If you put, if you're either regularly contributing to that RUL or you put a lump sum into it. You know, do you need all that money straight back out? Um, and then, you know, when we take money out of those types of products, it's kind of um, first in, last out mentality. What's the tax implications of it? Again, is it the right structure to use as something to you're trying to grow your money or are you trying to protect something, right? So it's trying to understand what you're trying to do with that product. And that's why, going back to your earlier question is, you know, what are those three points? One of them is understanding the structure for me. And it's so, so important. And I think just be careful because, People can dress stuff up um, for something that it's not supposed to be. Um, the second part of that question, is there a restriction or a disadvantage um, on offshore regular savings plans? And um, goes back to what we said earlier, and if this person missed that, uh, um, no worries. 
yes, disadvantage, stay away um, is probably the big answer to that one because that's going to fall into that PFIT category um, where we've got a passive foreign investment company. You're going to see big uh, punitive taxes coming at you and a large accountant's bill from their end to do all the reporting. It's probably something that you're not going to want to hold on to. So if you've got one already, come and see somebody, whether it be me or any of my team or somebody that has a US specific proposition to understand what that is and how you can use it, potentially get out of it um, or stay away from it in the first place would be, again, this isn't advice, specific advice is that to cater to, to those individuals, but just have a look at it first. Mm, absolutely, absolutely. So the rules around those, as, as you pointed out, are pretty strict because I think I do have that product and I had to execute that contract on U.S. soil. So I was in the U.S. Yeah. To, to sign up and go through the little interview and answer the questions and, and, and stuff like that. So, yeah, if, if it is that somebody's offering that outside of the U.S., outside of a U.S. platform or U.S. company, it is something, you know, you might want to ask a few more questions to make sure that you, you're you not heading in a direction that will be painful from a tax point of view, at least uh, far less from an actual insurance compliance point of view. Later on, it, it, there may be some pain in that. So, so yeah, I, I hope that helps. Now, that leads to, I guess, looking for, um, yes, we see Korea. Thank you for Korea's pointing out that her company helps people set up and incorporate in, in Dubai. Yep, thanks for sharing that. Uh, Tom, if somebody wanted to reach you or a member of your team, what's the best way to do that? Yeah, um, you can uh, go to skybarnwealth.com um, and, and literally just, we have a contact us box on there, easy enough. You can you can write to me through those, that service there. That, that's probably the easiest way to get hold of me. Those. Those emails go directly to my administration team and we monitor those pretty much all day, every day. So yeah, skybandwealth.com. Please, please feel free to reach out. Okay, that sounds pretty simple. Easy to find, skybandwealth.com. Tom, thank you for sharing some of your time today, sharing your expertise. Thank you very much, appreciate it. My pleasure, Dan, good to see you. Okay, have a good one, bye-bye. So if you're a six, seven, or eight-figure investor, entrepreneur, or business owner who needs a tailor-made solution from a qualified team of professionals, we can help you achieve the international lifestyle, the freedom, and even the tax savings you're looking for. Visit us at htj.tax and live that international life.